Today's scripture is going to be John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him. Not, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, good morning and welcome. My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors. It's uh, just a joy to, to be able to be together. And uh, before we open God's word together, uh, we just want to take a moment to pray as well. Um, yesterday was the 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Uh, and as a church, we are deeply committed uh, to value all of human life. One of the most compelling moral and justice issues, right, of our, of our time is legalized abortion on demand. Uh, and so this, this breaks, breaks our hearts for a lot of reasons, certainly for the, the vulnerable children, right? Uh, it breaks us heart, our hearts for, for um, mothers and sometimes fathers who are struggling with these very, very difficult places, these very difficult things. Um, and as well as citizens of this nation, right, we share in this collective heartbreak together. And so let's take a few minutes to pray. Heavenly Father, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we are reminded that you have made all humans in your likeness, and that every human being bears the image of God. Lord, we praise you that we are not our own, but belong to you, our maker. And with the psalmist, we praise you that in our mother's womb, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Lord, we praise you that our worth is not determined by our capacities or our capabilities, but by your deep love. Christ Jesus, we also bow our hearts before you in a spirit of contrition, seeking your mercy. As a people, we have not honored the sanctity of every born and unborn life. And as a nation, we continue to choose willful blindness and the legalized slaughter of the unborn, justified by the idols of individual choice, autonomy, and sexual freedom. Help us know how we can protect the vulnerable and pursue justice together. And Lord, forgive us. Have mercy on us. Holy Spirit, we intercede for all your servants working to promote life in every stage of development, for the many advice and aid and pro-life crisis pregnancy organizations seeking to come alongside women who face the very difficult challenges often associated with unplanned pregnancies, facing difficult decisions that no person was meant to face alone. Lord, encourage them, provide for and protect them, and help us as your people surround and support those who are facing these decisions, and may they choose life. And for those of us in this room who feel the regret of past mistakes, 
Would you show us forgiveness through Jesus and release from our shame? We also pray for the many advocates for the unborn in the courts and halls of federal, state, and local governments, that you would give them winsomeness and wisdom in working to protect the unborn and to create a society where everyone may flourish. And we also pray for the ending to the violent taking of human life on our city streets, across our world. Think also of, of our elderly brothers and sisters who often can face abuse and neglect. May we, as your covenant community, heed the words of the prophet Micah to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three person and one God, have mercy on us. And now, as we open your word together, would you speak? Be the light in the darkness that we so desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as much as I love the outdoors, and I just, I mean, I, people, I just can't get enough of this stuff, okay? I, any, any, like, wild beauty, natural adventure, like, any of that stuff, trees, bears, mountains, hiking, camping, like, all of that, you name it, I love it. As much as I love all that stuff, there's one natural phenomenon that I just, I just can't do. Um, I just, I can't handle it. I kind of hate it just a little bit. Uh, as much as I love all these other things, I, I hate caves. Anybody else? Caves? Yeah, okay. I see a couple of those. Yeah, I, I, just, I hate them, okay? I, I appreciate the beauty of caves uh, and the science of caves, and I will, I will force myself into the abyss because I love my family. They love caves. I don't know what's wrong with them. Like, all three of them, uh, like, you know, Kelly's, Kelly's love of caves is commensurate uh, with my love of bears, and my hatred of caves is the same as her hatred of bears. And so we like we go on vacation in these different places, just like taunt each other into these places of deep, deep fear for each of us. Um, promise we have a good marriage, but that's kind of what happens. There's another one there. Cla- so claustrophobia, right? This, that's that's my uh, yeah, my daughter and uh, my wife. That was our last cave experience. There's the three of us. And so claustrophobia, right? If you know what I'm talking about, like, you know what this is, right? This irrational fear of enclosed spaces. And that's me. It's like I, I feel my heart start to race in those spaces. I instantly like, begin imagining, like, well, what, if we, what if we get lost? What if something, we get trapped somehow? And I start to like, feel the walls or the ceiling like, closing in upon me, okay? I know it's crazy, but it's how I feel in those spaces, and again, we visited another one just recently because I, I love my family. I do. I love my family. But it was like, it was miles long. Uh, and it was kind of like a bring-your-own-flashlight situation. So no lights in the thing at all, right? I'd rather bring my own Xanax. Thank you very much. Uh, but we, like, we, we get there. We, sh- we show up. And like, there's nobody there. The place is completely abandoned. And we just like walk down these steps into the abyss, you know, where Satan lives. Uh, and my family, they're, they're clearly, they just, like, what is wrong with them? They love it so much, right? And it's so dark down there. Like, ha- have you ever been, like, deep, deep dark into a cave and then, like, turned off all the lights? Have you done that? Like, I don't know if I've ever experienced more darkness. You can have more, less darkness, right? More darkness than that. It's so dark. And we, we humans, we, we kind of have a strange relationship with darkness, don't we? Because like on, on the one hand, I would say most of us probably have some fear or at least discomfort 
when it comes to the dark, whether it's driving in the dark, walking alone at night in the dark, hearing a strange noise in the dark. Bad things happen in the dark, right? We, we hate the dark. But we also kind of love it. I mean, when I crawl into bed at night, I want it dark, as dark as possible, right? Or if we're, if we're trying to get away with something, well, darkness can be convenient, right? We certainly don't want everything about our lives to be brought out into the light. Plenty of us have things we want to hide in the dark, don't we? And so there, there are times when we, when we hate the darkness, and there are times when we, when we love the darkness. And the idea of light and dark is one of the most common metaphors in the writings of John. John talks about this quite a bit. And for John, we're going we're to look a little bit at t- today, but the light symbolizes everything good, beautiful, right, true, life, all, all that's, that's pure in the world. And, and darkness is just the opposite. It sort of symbolizes everything that's, that's evil, broken, it's, it's death, it's shame, it's heartache, it's all sort of, sort of there. And sometimes we humans hate it, but sometimes we love it. And either way, according to John... The darkness is literally trying to destroy us. So what do we do with the darkness? Turn to John 1 if you brought your Bible with you or you want to pull it up on your, on your phone. We'll have some of the scripture on the slides as well. So we're, we're still in the prologue of John. And I told you it was going to take forever, right, for us to get through John. So we're still just in these opening verses. And John's, John's prologue is sort of, like, sort of like an overture to a great musical. You know what I'm talking about? Like where if you listen closely, you can pick up all the different themes that, that are going to be featured later on in the music, right? There's going to be more songs coming kind of, kind of thing. And, and, and so he, if you're listening, you, you kind of hear these different, these different things. And the theme of light and dark... Like, we can, we can hear a few bars of it here in the prologue, but there's a whole song coming. And as we jump in, the first verse of the line, the first line of the verse is this. The world can be a very dark place. John wants us to recognize that the world can be a very dark place, but here's, here's the thing, like, I don't have to convince anybody of that, Right? Like, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a person of faith or not, like, regardless, I think most of us would acknowledge, yeah, there's some, there's some dark stuff out there, right? I mean, just even think about this weekend and last weekend, right? And so last, last weekend, we remembered the life of Martin Luther King Jr., and this weekend, right, the anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And so you've got our, our own nation's history of racism and slavery and the ongoing effects still at work in our world today, and the slaughter of the most innocent and vulnerable, right? Millions of unborn babies in the name of personal choice and sexual freedom. And those issues are even darker because we can't even agree on them, right? Like societally, it's almost like we feel like we have to choose. Well, you can be really passionate about one or the other, but you can't hold both of those things. And that's, that's dark, people, right? And frankly, some of us prefer to live in the dark, minimizing how evil those things really are. And I realize those are, those are pretty extreme examples, right? Some people are like, man, this sermon is coming in hot, right? Uh, it's, it's a bit intense. I know that. But, like, even just, just think about the way COVID has divided us. It's dark, people. Our world is so dark that a virus 
has like ripped apart families. Like I've heard stories from different families where like people are, they're not talking to each other right now. It's ripped apart churches and communities. Like that, that's dark. And I could, I could go on, right? But we, we already know this, right? I don't think John has to do a lot to convince us of the darkness within our world. And so here, here's what he says in verse 4. In him, meaning Jesus, in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so here, again, this is part of, part of that musical, right? Part of that overture. John is, is foreshadowing. He's kind of... He's kind of given us a hint about where the gospel is going, where his story is going, right? That, that the, darkest, the darkest day was the day Jesus was crucified, right? But also that, that when he rose victorious, like the death could, the darkness could not overcome him, right? The, the grave could not overcome him. No darkness can overcome the empty tomb. He's kind of letting us in on a little hint of where, of where it's going. But the darkness is trying to. This is what's really important, I think, with the biblical writers. The darkness... When they use this metaphor, and John in particular, but other, other writers use it as well, it's not, darkness isn't just like a passive description of the world. Like we just happen to be in a very dark place and we just, we're, we're in there kind of, kind of dealing with that. No, it is, it is an active force seeking to destroy us, seeking to overcome us. So it's not, it's not just that the cave is dark, it's that the walls of evil really are pressing in upon us. And this is true in a variety of ways. Again, as the, the biblical writers talk about darkness, it's, it's true, uh, first of all, it's true in like the world system. And so when John talks about the world, he's talking about, he's not talking, uh, he uses it differently, but often it's talking about like the system of the world, the, the, the things that we just sort of take for granted, like the broken, broken cultures, broken values, broken norms that reinforce evil, that like make sin normal. It's like, well, everybody's doing it kind of thing, right? You know, a simple example of that is like the sexual revolution, that somehow our world has convinced us, like our culture, our world system has convinced us that the only way to be happy is to be sexually free. Like you have to, like you have to. And, like, and somehow we've ended up culturally believing that lie, choosing erotic pleasure over lifelong intimacy. But it's not just the systemic things within our world that make sin easy. It's also the devil. Yeah, I know that makes us really uncomfortable uh, to talk about. It's, like, it's hard enough to believe in God, right? More or less to believe that he has a, an enemy. That there is a real enemy actively seeking to deceive us and to destroy us. Whispering in our ear, essentially. In fact, in fact think about, like, he's, he's referred to as the father of lies. Like, that is his job description. This is what, this is what Satan does. He lies. He whispers in our ear stuff like, do you think you'll ever really be happy with only one sexual partner for your entire life? And, and you hear that lie, and you, we live in a culture that reinforces that lie. It says, well, the only way to be happy is to be sexually free. And then we have these broken desires, like our disordered loves, right? Our flesh is, is the way the, the writers talk about it, that, that want these things, these lies, to be true. That's how the world, the flesh, and the devil subtly uh, destroy us. The devil tells us lies that our flesh wants to believe that our world readily affirms. Again, I, I realize that believing in supernatural, personal evil, orchestrating the darkness, is, is, it's a stretch for many of us. I know. It's hard. And yet, when you look around our world, I mean, aren't there times when it's just... It, it's like, man, maybe there is something out there seeking to destroy us, right? 
Like in the face of, of huge evil, right? Massive things. Like you, you get that sense, right? Sometimes that maybe there is a, an active darkness. I think one, one example uh, is the, the Rwandan genocide. I often think of this because I, I, we have partners in Rwanda. I've been to Rwanda. I've seen these, these places of, of mass execution. And, and just to, like, to like remember that 800,000 people in the matter of 100 days, men, women, and children, were murdered by their neighbors. Like literally, people they, they lived next to, worked with, went to school with, went to church with even. And this happened less than 30 years ago, right? Like, this isn't like ancient history, right? There are some, like, primitive people. It's not, that's not it at all, right? This, like, just happened. And so this guy, Romeo Dallaire, uh, he was one of the, the failed peacekeepers. Uh, he was there. He uh, watched the whole thing. He was, uh, was not allowed to, to do anything about it. Just watched. And he wrote this book. And listen, listen to what he writes. He says, I know there is a God. Because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I have seen him, I have smelled him, and I have touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore I know there is a God. Like what he's getting at, like in the face of real darkness, you see a real enemy. And our enemy is not flesh and blood. We get confused there sometimes, don't we? Paul makes it very clear. Our enemy is not each other. It's not other people. Even the people who disagree with us, right, who would, who would do anything possible to destroy us, it's not, it's not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is the darkness, the liar himself. And so let me, let me just ask, do you recognize the darkness? Because if, if you're going to resist it, you have to see it, and you have to call it what it is, sin. We have to be willing to see things that we don't want to see so that we as God's people can shine the light. Okay, so I kind of wish John would have just left it there. Because as, as heavy as that is, it's fairly, we can treat it a little bit impersonally, right? It's like, yeah, it's the darkness in the world, and it's, it's those people over there, and, you know, it's not, it's not about me, right? Uh, it's easy to do that. But John, John actually, he gets pretty personal here. Because he wants us to see, second, that the greatest darkness is often within us. The greatest darkness is often within us. Because it's not, it's not just the world and the devil, right, trying to snuff out the light. It isn't just evil people out there somewhere. No, it's, it's us. We also play a role. Look what he says in verse 9. The true light, again, he's referring to Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. What he's saying is like the world should have, should have recognized him, right? He made the world. But we didn't. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And so the light of the world finally, finally shows up. And what John is saying, there's not only did we put blinders on, like try to shield our eyes from his light, we actively tried to snuff it out, Right? We hung him on a cross. Again, we're, we're all implicated in this. Like, we are all, what he's getting at, is we're all part of this, this problem. You can't just point to that big problem out there. No, it's also in here. In fact, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, uh, writing from the gulag, like, he understood the darkness. It's a familiar quote. I, lo- I love that uh, picture. I'm doing my best to catch up on the beard thing. Um, 
But listen, listen to what he writes. He says, if only, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? People were part of the darkness. And again, the, the biblical writers often describe the darkness with those three categories, the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you want to, if you want to learn more, if you're kind of intrigued by that idea, the world, the flesh, and the devil, I've been greatly helped by John Mark Comer's newest book, Live No Lies. It's really, really helpful. It's an excellent, excellent book. Uh, but he make, makes a case that when the, the biblical writers describe the darkness... They're often talking about these three things working together, like tag-teaming together, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So again, the the devil lies to us. The world makes those lies seem plausible because, well, everybody's doing it, right? And then our own own flesh, our our sinful longings, make the lies desirable. So I gave the the example of sexuality, right? But this, this works for anything, really. I mean, just take the way uh, we tend to treat people we disagree with, right? And so the, the, the devil lies to us and says, they're the enemy, not, not me, right? And if, if you don't take back what they're trying to take from you, they, they will destroy you. Like, they, they puts all the focus there. And then, then we live in a culture that, well, it's, it's kind of fun to demonize our enemies. Like, there's, there's entire industries built on this. Like, just watch, you know, uh, news channels, right? Watch, watch some of these, these pundits, right? We, we, we look on Facebook, like, we... It, our culture says, yes, that's what we have to do. We have to demonize the enemy. And then you do it a couple times, and it's like, man, that, that did make me feel a little better about myself, actually. And all of a sudden, I became more convinced in things that nobody has any business of being convinced about, right? Uh, but it sort of reinforces that. That's kind of how these things work together in concert. And so this is, this is why, even though we, we generally hate the darkness out there, we love at least some of the darkness in here, don't we? We, we often hate the darkness outside of us, and it makes us feel good to point it out. But we love some of the darkness that's in here. And if we're honest, we will do anything we can to hide it, to keep it buried. Even, even just like hidden from ourselves. Like we, we don't want to know. We don't want to do business with some of those things that are within us. A couple chapters later in John, just in John chapter... Chapter 3, so we'll get there in like a decade or so. Um, but in John chapter 3, listen, listen to what he says, verse 19. He says, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be ex- exposed. This, this is why... If I would ask you, what is the scariest creature on planet Earth? It's not, it's not bears or snakes or spiders, right? It's you. Me, right? I mean, a, a, bear, a bear will only eat you or maybe rip your face off, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't mean any harm, right? But we humans, I mean, we are a mixed bag people, aren't we? Like, we are capable of unbelievable goodness and beauty and unimaginable darkness and evil. So let me ask, will you confess the darkness in you? 
And, and not just confess it, but will you, will you bring it out into the light so that it will not be hidden anymore? So I've been listening to a lot of Johnny Cash lately. I mean, actually, kind of like a creepy amount of Johnny. It's like all I, he's all I listen to. And this, 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 is the, this is the Johnny Cash that I love the best, like the stuff at the end of his career, the end of his life, continued recording all the way up right to, to his death, essentially. And I, I just, I love it. So my spare time, I chop wood and I listen to Johnny Cash. It tells you all you need to know about the state of my mental health right now. Um, but I, lo- I love Johnny Cash. And Cash, like, he understood the darkness, right? If you know any of his, his personal story, the, the decades-long uh, struggle with drug abuse, right? As an addict. And even, even like years after he was clean, like he, even, even as an old man, he said that there was hardly a day that ever passed in which he didn't crave it. He just didn't, didn't want to get stoned, right? And so he understood the darkness. And again, I especially love the last few albums before he died because they're all about the darkness within him and the darkness around him and his longing for light. It's the Beautiful songs, songs like The Beast in Me or, or Hurt. If you've not heard that one, you should definitely, definitely Google that one later. But one of, his, one of his final recorded songs was I See a Darkness. And, and it starts off with him talking about who he wishes he was, like drawing out the, the goodness, beauty, all of like, like we all do, right? This, this kind of persona that we often have. And then he sings out, says, well, you know I have a love, a love for everyone I know. And you know I have the drive to live, I won't let go. But can you see its opposition comes rising up sometimes? That its dreadful imposition comes blacking in my mind. And that I see a darkness. 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 Here's a hope that somehow you can save me from this darkness. But what can save us from the darkness? The right politicians? The right therapists? Better job, better income, a better spouse? Stronger economy, the right health care? Better education? You know, for years, I think it's so interesting, our culture has said education. We just got to educate people. If we can just do that, then we can, like, we can get past all the evils of, of racism and poverty and sexual abuse and all, all of that darkness if we just educate people, right? How's that working out? And listen, I, stay, kids, stay in school, okay? Education matters. It's, it's an important thing, all right? I'm not, I'm not <laughs> yeah, I'm not going that far. But I, anytime somebody says that or sort of implies that, I just think back to the, to the Germans in 1920s, 1930s. They were considered the most educated, most brilliant people in the world. The, the highest scholarship in the entire world was coming out of Germany. If you wanted to study, like that was, that was where you do it, right? And then what happened? We committed the Holocaust, right? What can save us from the darkness? Well, if you're in the dark, what do you need? A dictionary? No. You need light. And John is saying that the light has come. That he's finally here. And that his name is Jesus. And so the third thing here, the only hope 
and darkness is light. That's, that's what John wants us to see. That's what he wants us to take. That's, what he, that's why he's writing this gospel, is to show us this light. The only hope in the darkness is light. And it comes out here, right? Verse, verse 4 again, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And skip down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're kind of light spoiled in our, in our world, aren't we? Like light is never a difficult thing for us. It's like you just get out your cell phone and you, know, you just flip a switch. Like, but when, when John was writing, like at night, light was a rare commodity. Like you had to work for it. Like it was, it was not easy, right? It was, it was precious. I mean, it's just like imagine like living in a world and going, having to walk home at night with no street lamps anywhere, right? Or, or trying to get work done past 6 p.m. in the winter, right? Light was precious, and the true light has come. And if, if that's true, if John is right, there's three responses that he wants for us. Three things. First of all, you've got to receive the light, which is kind of a weird thing to even say, right? Because it's like, how do you receive light? Light is just there, right? It's, it's not something that we really have much choice about at all. Uh, and, and in fact, like, you have to work really hard to reject light, don't you? Like you, have, you have to like close your eyes. You have to bury your head. You have to, to leave, leave the room. You have to work to reject it. But all you have to do to receive it is just open your eyes, right? I mean, verse, verse 12, again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, like children of the light. And if you've, if you've not done that, maybe today is the day. Like to confess your sin to him, your own personal darkness, your contribution and the brokenness of our world, to let him open your eyes to the light, just to say, Jesus, I'm yours. And receive the light. Once you've done that, then, the second thing is that we walk in the light. This is another important way that John uses this, this metaphor. That you, you, cannot, you cannot just be passive recipients of the light, right? And then continue to walk in darkness. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you, why would you possibly do that? In fact, John talks about that in uh, one of his letters. In John, 1 John 1, he says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Like, go back to the, the cave, right? Pitch black, you're lost, you're stuck. It's ugh, terrifying, right? Someone hands you a flashlight and points you the way. I mean, who in their right mind would be like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go this way instead in the dark, right? No, of course not. It's unthinkable. And so for us, as, as we consider this idea, like this walking in the light, if you're going to do that, that means you have, to, you have to actively reject the darkness. Like you have to reject the lies of the evil one. Like you have to recognize those, those lies that are being whispered to you, right? That are constantly going on, whether you want to blame your own internal voices or Satan himself. Like there's so many lies that we're constantly being, we have to reject it. It's like, no, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe what is, what is true. And so we have to also reject the, the lies of our, of our culture, right? We have to reject the darkness of our world. 
To say, just because everybody's doing it, just because it seems normal and acceptable, right? Just because it's, it's you know, it's, you see it everywhere, right? It's like, no. We even have to reject our own disordered desires, which is perhaps the hardest for all of us, man. We, we want what we want, and we find a way to justify it, don't we? But you have to say no to yourself. No, that is not, that is not good for me, right? To reject our own desires and to obey him instead. And so those, those dark places that you have hidden, you have them, I have them, right? Those things that you don't want anybody to see, you don't even want to look at yourself. But like mold, they flourish in the dark. They love it down there. You've got to bring them out into the light. And you've got you to bring them into the light with someone else. Like to, to be willing to actually trust someone enough to confess your sins to them. To let them see into the darkness. And to even hear them say in response, you know what though? Jesus loves you. He forgives you. Those things do not define you. When we do that, that breaks the binding hold of shame in our lives, setting us free from the darkness. And so that's the second thing, walk in the light. And then finally, if Jesus is truly the light our world needs, then we have to shine a light. We have to shine it. Shine the light into the darkness. Go back to the cave one more time, as much as it pains me to do so. Um, if you've been in that place, right, of deep, deep darkness... It really doesn't take much light to make a huge difference, does it? I mean, even just the smallest, tiniest bit of light makes a huge difference. And the reality is, like, I know, like, our light, my light, your light, it feels pretty insignificant, right? So much darkness in our lives and in our world. So much all around us. And yet, sometimes it is in those darkest places in which the light shines brightest. Martin Luther King, Jr., who certainly understood this in profound ways, once said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And as we live in love towards one another, defending the rights of the vulnerable, loving our enemies, sharing the good news, like when we do that, we brighten up this dark world. That you and I, together and individually, we have that role to play, to... to to show people the light. For the light has come. And even though we tried to destroy the light, right, by hanging him on a cross, by, by taking his life, he didn't stay dead. The darkness has not overcome it. He burst forth out of the grave alive for you and for me, shining forth his light for all to see. And that light, that light changes everything. Let's pray. Light of the world, we need, we need you to show us our own darkness, the darkness in our world, the darkness of the lies that are often whispered to us, Show us those that you might shine brighter and that we may walk in your light. God, I, I pray that we would be a people who are willing to confess to one another, to share these dark places um, so that we may be freed from the shame of the darkness. 
And Lord Jesus, we're just so grateful that you came into this dark place, that you loved us enough to pursue us. And I pray that we would receive you and that we would walk in you. In Jesus' name.